Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the ladies in tech from around Ireland and the rest of the world. Remember, there are many ways you can get our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. There's the smartphone podcast app, many of them, iTunes as well. Or you can turn us on the radio with DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Joining me as always is Niall Kitson, the editor-in-chief our very own Donald Trump at Tech Central HQ. You hate that, don't you? I really despise it. And, and it, it's a very good segue into our first story of the week, is it not? It certainly is, because since Donald Trump has taken power in the United States of America, a very interesting book has shot to the top of the charts on Amazon. What is that book? Yeah, well, the science fiction classic, well, speculative fiction classic. I mean, let's let's broaden the base a little bit. Uh, 1984 uh, has gone to the top of the Amazon book chart. Apparently, it's also uh, just outside the top five on Apple's book chart as well. Um, there, actually, if you're if you haven't got a copy at home. Uh, I recommend you go out and buy the current Penguin edition. It's It's got a lovely Penguin Classics cover on it, uh, except all the text is blacked out. It's redacted. <laughs> For people who've never read it, give me the uh, the summary of 1984. Uh, OK, well, for, for... Yeah, OK, how to summarise 1984. It's effectively a love story that's squashed by an overarching state. So the, the idea of Big Brother, Big Brother is watching you. This comes from 1984. And I, I pulled a nice little quote out from the book that will, you know, it's quite prescient uh, in terms of what's going on at the moment. So uh, the quote reads as follows. All rulers in all ages have tried to impose a fake view of the world upon their followers. That sounds like fake news. <laughs> Digest that. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, this is or alternative facts. Alternative. Well, Mr. Trump is very good at alternative facts, that's for sure. I loved uh, all the photos that they they were showing of Obama's inauguration, then Trump's inauguration, then Trump was going, no, it was fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, well, apparently to a a very interesting article in GQ uh, this week, um, those pictures did not go down well uh, internally. And um, uh, the press officer, Sean Spicer, was sent out with his very combative Mm. um, press conference, no questions. Uh, and that was strictly under orders. And even then, he apparently didn't do a good enough job. But listen, so we shouldn't we shouldn't single out the man du jour, uh, Donald Trump, because I think the whole thing about governments and authorities keeping an eye on people is happening everywhere. You just walk down the street and you see the amount of CCTV cameras that are out there. Uh, you see the way that banking is all going online now and that everybody's using their credit cards or their debit cards to pay for everything. Everything we do is absolutely trackable by people uh, who want to be able to track, which is what 1984 was all about. And even just before we started uh, the show today, what did your computer ask you? It uh, asked me for my location so it could deliver better services to me. Mm. Which just means, you know, targeted advertising, basically. Mm, close inverted commas. Very Orwellian, indeed. I had a, I had a weird one on uh, on Facebook the other day because uh, somebody was saying, oh, I saw that you were blah, 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 whatever, a photo. And I went, oh, where did you see that? And uh, they said on Facebook. Now, I don't know that person on Facebook and I don't have any of my contacts on Facebook who would be a contact of the person, that person. And I figured out, I said, well, how did you do a search for me? And they said, uh, they said, no, you came up as a suggested friend. 
And I thought about it and I went, how the... And then I realised I would WhatsApp that person regularly. Right. Completely okay. separate to Facebook. No connection to Facebook whatsoever. Yet Facebook is putting it up as a... And I was like, whoa. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not the end of the world. <laughs> well, it comes down to the application of the data that's gathered. Yes. Uh, if the data is gathered by Facebook, who only have a commercial interest, um, they will want to sell you things. That is, you know, I don't like it, but it's a reasonably benevolent use of uh, my personal information. Uh, it's when that information is used for surveillance purposes uh, either by uh, a state who is worried that I'm in contact with nefarious elements. Uh, being a journalist, there is always the possibility that that might happen. Uh, or just that somebody in a position of power just mightn't like you very much and has access to this kind of information. So whether it's, you know, for a personal vendetta or a concerted campaign of suppression, um, these are the really worrying things um, more so than the capability exists to gather this information. Mm. But of course, as we learn through Prism that, you know, Facebook, it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, these tech companies are pretty spineless when it comes to standing up for their uh, for their users uh, in comparison to standing up for human rights. As we know, when the likes of Facebook go to China, when Apple go to China, um, that uh, it's it's very much you want to do business here. here here's our rules. Oh, yes, boss. Fair enough. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned China because uh, China are uh, and and privacy and data and stuff like that. Uh, because I was thinking about the story this week that China are cracking down on online usage and particularly targeting uh, VPN software, which of course people are using to get out of China uh, uh, digitally and so on and so forth. But then there was also a story this week about uh, the VPN apps that that we use every day, and we kind of think the reason we use VPN is because we want to be accessing something that maybe we shouldn't, or we want to uh, be uh, look as if we're in an other country for whatever reason and we think that these vpn apps will hide our identity or hide our location but that's not necessarily true is it yeah well people have a very uh interesting relationship with virtual private network uh apps be it on the desktop or or mobile or wherever you wish to use them uh ostensibly they're a, a privacy measure that um you know you, you do look like you're browsing from another country uh which has its uses um for example, as you mentioned there in China, where there is a, a clampdown on news sources that aren't uh, officially sanctioned by the state. So if, say, you wanted to read, we'll, we'll just say the Irish Times is banned in China. If you want to read the Irish Times, you use a VPN in China and off you go. Uh, now, the Chinese government, uh, they're clamping down on VPNs anyway, but a report by the University of New South Wales and the University of Berkeley uh, has found that a lot of these VPN uh, apps they're actually not very good for you at all um and that up to you know pretty much all of them well 82 percent of them look for access to your personal data uh, when you install them and that goes from user accounts you know do you have a gmail do you have a dropbox do you have etc etc uh, all the way into your text messages uh, probably for, you know, keyword analysis. So if you talk an awful lot about shoes, you can be served up uh, programmatic advertising about shoes. Um, 18% of these VPN um, apps are unencrypted. So, you know, if they're intercepted, there's nothing there to um, protect your browser history. And 38% actually inject malware. 
uh, into your browser, which isn't great either. <laughs> I think you will uh, agree. Um, just over two thirds of them, actually, they do offer um, uh, services like enhanced privacy. So it's sort of you're using the free version. Uh, if you wish to subscribe to our premium version, uh, that's one example of what, what uh, people do. Um, and 75% of them use third party tracking libraries, which does go into that oh right you've been here you've been here you've been here so it's not just people using vpns to access netflix it's people using vpns just to surf the web uh, normally so that's that's what people are looking up for and of course these are third-party applications themselves you know this isn't vpn by microsoft or vpn by apple or anything like that um they, this is you know the likes of hotspot shield or wi-fi protector uh, were two that were singled out uh, and of course, if you go to the developers of these apps, uh, assuming they'll give you a comment at the first place, um, they're going to say, well, look, we have to monetize these things. You can either pay a subscription or uh, you can use, uh, use a free version and we monetize it using advertising. It's back to the same old, same old. Free is never free. Uh, and uh, I th- what was the, uh, the little phrase? Is that... Uh... If something is free, you're not the user you're the product there you go that's exactly what i was thinking of now speaking of uh, information and free services microsoft is great for its free email service <laughs> uh, and uh, then we have a uh, the, the whole data issue because microsoft keeps uh, an awful lot of its data here in ireland and the u.s government wants access to that data and there's a whole row the, the, but how's that what's the latest on that well, this is a long-running row. Uh, I mean, Microsoft has a massive data center presence in Ireland. I've, I've been out to one of their data centers. It is absolutely huge. Like, it's a very impressive campus. And uh, the level of security is practically military out there. You can't take photos. You know, you have to have uh, a passport or a driver's license going in so you can be checked off. You know, it's very restrictive altogether. Um, very uh, imposing-looking building on on the outside and inside. Um and uh, this legal argument has been going on since 2013. Um, the American Department of Justice is involved in a, a drug trafficking case. They're looking to build a case against an individual. Part of that case is accessing their email. Uh, Microsoft went, uh, hang on, uh, the email that you're actually looking to access, it, it doesn't exist on servers in the States. It's actually stored out in Dublin. Um, you can't access that, uh, to which the Department of Justice said, uh, hang on, we can because you're an American company. This is an American case. This is uh, an American suspect. We have a legitimate right to this information. So this case has been worming its way through the courts. And the most recent decision uh, has come down in favor of Microsoft, um, uh, whose argument was that, you know, uh, a judge granted a warrant in this case. They actually shouldn't have because the material that they were looking for was based overseas and they don't have um, what's called an extraterritorial uh, warrant. So, you know, they could only put in a, a warrant for information within the U.S., not outside it. Now, you know, this was virgin territory at the time. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the logic that American suspect, American case, American company lined up quite well. It's when you threw in the curveball of data actually not hosted uh, in America. That's that's where the issue is. And it also comes into, you know, safe harbor and privacy shield as well. You know, I mean, uh, you have a right um, to know when your information is being looked at. You have a right to have your information kept to a high standard. You have a reasonable um, expectancy of privacy with that information. So, uh, 
Yeah, I think this is very good news for consumers. Uh, it's very good news for Microsoft, obviously, um, that they can start touting, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you know, their, their email services being, you know, um, if not completely off limits, then certainly more secure than some of its competitors. Um, and it sets a very good precedent for anyone looking to do secure email that they can say, look, we're hosted exclusively in Ireland or we're hosted exclusively in Germany or New Zealand where the data protection measures are extremely strict. Mm. Um, and then hopefully across Europe, because the idea uh, is that, you know, um, companies should look to the countries with the strictest data protection regulations and adhere to those because when Europe comes in with their standards, you will already be compliant. So good news, good news for uh, Hotmail users, for those that are still out there. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's move on to uh, the other really big tech story of the week, and that is my favourite company in all of the world, Samsung. <laughs> Said without sarcasm. <laughs> I love this story because Samsung has finally revealed, uh, yeah, it was the batteries that were leading to our phones exploding. <laughs> It's like, duh. Uh, Finally admitted. Finally admitted. Uh, But the the thing that really makes me laugh more about this story is that on the front page of techcentral.ie, we've got a little survey up and running. And it's like, you know, now we know that the batteries uh, explode in Note 7s. Would this put you off buying a Samsung phone? And 71% of people said, no, no, it wouldn't put me off at all. (laughs) Yep, yeah. And if if you look at it, this happened to a company like, say, Xiaomi, which is a, a Chinese manufacturer of smartphones, kind of targeting the low end. Um, they, they would have taken a lot of the low to mid end market from Samsung. If you were to look at a brand like that, you go, oh, God, that's that's pretty damaging now. That Or, you know, Alcatel or even, you know, uh, the, we are starting to see more Nokia phones come on the market because the brand has been leased back. Um, you would go, gosh, this is this is humiliating like this is not good and if you look at the the note 7 this was samsung's brand new shiny flagship phone they were all about the bells and whistles and facial recognition and you know uh gesture control yeah, the best of the these. best of the best of the best of the best was in the note 7 and they explode well not you know that's that you know that's a, an unfair generalization but uh a very embarrassing number, <clears throat> excuse me, of them exploded. Uh, an awful lot of them suffered from overheating. Um, and it, it would be a public relations disaster, but people seem to have gotten over it. Um, if you look at sort of the damage that has been done to the company, uh, let me just see if I can bring up some exact statistics for you here. There was something like... Uh, can you remember how many cases there were? I think it was about a dozen actual explosions or something like that. Um, you know, far uh, enough to be a very substantial um, PR fiasco. Um, but they were quite proactive in their investigation and in their recall. Um, maybe a bit slow on this side of the Atlantic, but certainly in the States, they were on top of it like like a shot. Um, a total of 3 million devices were recalled as part of the global recall. as 96% of what was put out there at a cost of 18 billion euro. Now, to put that in context of their um, sort of quarterly results uh, for the third quarter 
Um, that was a 95% decline in profits for their mobile communications division. So this was at a time when they would be like, yay, we are happy, clappy Samsung. We have doubled our revenue kind of a thing because we've got these wonderful high-end smartphones. Though Those potential gains were just uh, just wiped out. But, um, you know, and we're, we're I, we don't know what sort of punitive measures are going to come out just yet. Um, but there you go. So a total of 700 Samsung researchers and engineers uh, were involved. They tested 200,000 phones and 30,000 uh, phone batteries before coming to a conclusion as to, to what exactly went wrong. And it was a case of demand outstripping supply and the supply not being that good. Um, there were two battery manufacturers involved. Um, the first manufacturer, they don't name them. We can guess who they are. We, we've reported on this story um, quite a while ago when, mm. when, uh, the, when names were named initially. But manufacturer A um, released a certain number of batteries onto the market. They were deemed to be uh, of insufficient quality. Um, Samsung changed to manufacturer B, who similarly failed to deliver uh, a component of sufficient quality. So it didn't matter what their initial uh, uh, change of tactic was. Uh, You could imagine that they go, oh, right, okay, devices released up to this point, please return them. Uh, Whatever it was, clearly it was a supply issue. They said, we want X million Mm -hmm. batteries by, you know, a month's time and of course manufacturers just working overtime just to pump out this product that clearly wasn't wasn't up to scratch so i mean it ended up yeah costing them uh 18 billion euro but it's it's uh, interesting that you know with those huge costs and the recall and the marketing disaster that it was and the fact that they've lost their flagship phone um and then there's all kinds of shenanigans going on at the high end of samsung with the directors of samsung and the owners of, well not the owners but the directors of samsung and politicians and dirty money and all kinds of things that are going on in a whole other side of things um and after all of this the share price for samsung yeah it went up they, they've had a pretty good year. Um, overall profit for 2016. These were figures that were released earlier this week. 18 billion euro, up 19%. Uh, sales of 161 billion euro. Um, apparently, that's that's roughly the same. I think it's up 0.9% uh, or 1%. It's very, very, um, very minor gains. But you see, the, the gains that were made... Um, it wasn't in the smartphone business. You can pretty much write off an awful lot of that. I mean, you're, you're running to stand still after you get rid of your third quarter results. So what they found, um, most of the gains were were in memory chips and components like that. Because, you know, they, they make SSDs that go down very well. Mm. Um, for, for every smartphone, there's a chip to go in it. And Samsung chips are, are doing very, very well in that market. Um, but also... Uh, other businesses like their televisions uh, have become hugely profitable, uh, even though sales are, again, pretty much flat. Um, I think they made like two billion in sales, but the profit on those sales has doubled, which tells us that, you know, the, the price of components is coming down. Um, so that's that's a very interesting development uh, in their other end of the business. And they reckon that going into 2017, we'll be seeing things like larger screens and 4K and uh, QLED displays become much more, uh, much more common. So uh, TV, massively profitable. Components, ma- massively profitable. We'll, we'll see a recovery in the smartphone market 
competition in 2017, no doubt. So, you know, so overall, uh, I mean, any time that you, you end up shipping a, a massive cost and mm. enduring a PR nightmare, it's it's got to be tough. But the bottom line is still, it's still good for uh, for Samsung and they won't have to deal with um, the US uh, administration going, bring jobs back to America uh. because they're a South Korean company. <laughs> Let's move on to Facebook and the changing world. We started off uh, uh, talking about 1984 and surveillance and data and, and how the world is changing. Um, and part of that was announced last April, I think, by Facebook, where they wanted to do Facebook Live. So live yeah. events will be streamed on Facebook. And there was even uh, a friend of mine uh, sent me a text and he said, oh, go to this Facebook page right now. It's a live event of um, I'm, I'm, I'm really sharing too much with the group here. Uh, <laughs> but it was somebody who was standing at the apron of Dublin Airport and broadcasting all the planes as they arrived and, and departed and doing a running commentary on the whole thing. It's not as per- fiercely it, dull. It's, it's actually probably the saddest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but uh, uh, and that was on Facebook Live. But uh, Facebook Live has not worked for Facebook. It hasn't. No, I mean, uh, streaming video has had a very strange history. Um, if you look at sort of the two main streaming video apps uh, were Periscope and Meerkat. Meerkat was their first. Periscope arrived and stole a march on them at South by Southwest a couple of years ago. Meerkat since folded. People still use Periscope. Uh, Vine, uh, I'm going to take it as a, uh, a side note. Um, again, casual video, low production values, folded by Twitter um, just last year. So that's no longer with us, uh, although your Vines are, are archived if you, if you really want them. Um, so streaming video has kind of had a checkered history. It was kind of a matter of how do we get brands to leverage this? Because, um, you know, we've got YouTube Live where people can stream themselves. And YouTube is a pretty natural home for that. I mean, you've got people uploading their, their regular content on a daily basis, and that's fine. YouTube has that nice balance between sort of the, the pro vloggers and just regular folks and uh, big media brands. And, and the big brands really have embraced um, YouTube Live, which is which is very good. Uh, if you're a follower of uh, international politics, you can go on and you can see the likes of RT or Al Jazeera or whatever your, your outlet of choice that isn't based in Ireland or England. Um, so there's definitely a market for it. So Facebook came out last April and they said, look, we're doing this experiment in it. We've got 140 partners on board. We're investing 50 million to get people to provide um, streaming content on your profile. You will be able to do this. Now, unfortunately, the only things I really saw on Facebook Live were um, awful, awful um, rolling commentaries of people who have been shot. I'm sorry, but that's all I saw on Facebook Live. Ooh. And, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was just mute it. You know, that there there was no filter. Even things that were newsworthy to me, I don't need to see in real time, mm. you know. Um, that's, that's why we have experts. That's why we have other journalists there. Um, and also when the stats came out, uh, which I guess is, is equally important, um, it seemed that people were spending 30% less time on streaming video than they were on actual text-based posts on, uh, on Facebook. So when you're looking to develop a site that's sticky that people will hang around on, mm. if people are sitting there getting bored with good example being your your airplane commentary who's going to sit around for a couple of minutes listening to that unless you're really invested in either the person or the subject so um facebook has said okay we're we're stepping away from um 
from live coverage. Nice, nice, uh, nice idea. But we're we're done with it. This isn't to say that you will be able to watch live embeds from YouTube or anything like that. I'm not sure about that. Um, but uh, the plan now is to move towards premium long form video content. So maybe mm. the sort of documentaries that you're used to seeing on Vice or something like that. Um, they could be finding a new home on Facebook, or well, Facebook might be commissioning those directly. That's a, another thing I was going to say because the live video, as you said, the production quality and, and everything was absolutely terrible. But I am noticing that a lot of the, shall I say, amateur or non-broadcast video content uh, that is pre-recorded and put on YouTube is actually really increasing. Uh, the quality is getting very good. The editing is getting very good. The storylines is getting very good. Um, I'm thinking of this too. Casey, uh, Casey Nysat, is, is, is that how you pronounce the surname? The American guy? Yes, yes. Keep going. Uh, th- like it, it looks like he's just kind of going around with a mobile phone and filming his life. But no, mm. he's setting things up for him to do and to film that are interesting. And he's using high quality equipment. And then he has to go away and he has to edit it. And th- that's the difference, you see. People don't realize how much time goes into editing and putting those videos together before you put them online. Uh, Casey does a great job. There's another really good one. If you have any connection whatsoever with uh, uh, with France or with French culture, uh, there's one that, uh, with an English comedian who's living in Paris and his video is called What the F France. Now, you'll have to fill out that entire F word yourself. Uh, but if you put that into YouTube and look at the quality of it, it's unbelievable. And I saw a kind of a, a making of video <laughs> of this right. thing and it's an entire video crew lighting sound everything and it's brilliantly done and i'm thinking in the back of my head where's the money in this i just i don't see quite where the money is in it but because a lot of money goes into making that but it's not yeah. on broadcast television so i don't know what the story is um listen uh, one last uh, little quick uh, item for you uh, and it was actually it was just a recommendation to, to tell you about now more than anything else i was at the movies oh, during the good. week Oh, brilliant. It's Oscar season, so have you been catching up? Uh, no, uh, not really, uh, because there's been a couple of really good science fiction movies out. Uh, there was Star Wars Rogue One, which I thought was OK. Uh, then there is Passengers, which I would really like to see. But every time I go down to cinema, I see it's in 3D and I hate 3D. I just want to see yeah. a normal movie. Uh, but the one that I went to see this week was Arrival. Oh, it's fantastic, isn't it? You've seen it. I've seen it, yes, yes. Well, there we go. So the story is, you know, first contact with uh, aliens. Of course, we don't know how to speak their language and the whole movie is around about, you know, how we figure out how to communicate with them. There's a whole load of other stuff. We were talking about communication and government and freedom of information. That kind of comes into it as well. Some very interesting themes dealt with in the movie. But as a science fiction buff... I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you're a science fiction buff and you thoroughly enjoyed it as well. So there's, yep. there's two high recommendations for Arrival, yeah? Yeah, and not an action movie. It's actually about the ideas, uh, which is fantastic. If you want to see yes. an action movie, go see Rogue One and you'll be happy enough. If you want to see proper science fiction film about ideas, go see Arrival. It ri- reminded me a little bit of Contact my favourite yeah, movie of all yeah. time you know, so uh, it was quite good alright listen uh, let's wrap it up there uh, just before we go though uh, for this week uh, what's, what's the one more thing that we haven't had a chance to talk about now that is available on the website at techcentral.ie um, yeah we actually have a wonderful interview this week with Professor Louise Kenny from Infant which is a Science Foundation Ireland Research Centre based down in Cork so 
um, absolutely um, have a read of it. Uh, you'll learn a lot. Win and gorge on that and enjoy at techcentral.ie. And remember, while you're there, you'll get Irish tech news with hourly updates. There's daily newsletters as well. And of course, our weekly tech radio show here online and broadcast every Friday at 6 p.m. on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Listen, have a great weekend from myself and uh, Dusty Rhodes and <laughs> forgetting my name there for a second and Niall Kitson at Tech Central HQ. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.